Again, we're finishing up this series this morning called Following Jesus. And um, we've been talking the last five weeks about what it means to follow Jesus. And it might sound simple, um, but it's not always as simple as it sounds, what it means to follow Jesus. Um, this past Friday, I was meeting with a friend, and I've known this person for about 20 years. And uh, this person was a part of our church for about 10 years or so. And we've just been in a relationship, friendship for a long, long time. And we were talking about following Jesus, and we spent about two hours together on Friday. And we began talking about following Jesus as a disciple. And um, I asked him this question. I said, hey, have you ever realized or considered yourself a disciple? Now, this is a person who's an adult, right, who's probably close to retirement age, has been a Christian for as long as he can remember. And he said, no, I've never thought of myself as a disciple. Now, granted, we talked about this last week. Do you realize that in the Bible, over 270 times in the New Testament, when it describes a person that we would call a Christian, I think we'll have a slide for those, Nate. When it describes a Christian, it uses the word disciple 270 plus times. 250 times it calls us brothers or sisters. I think it's 61 times it calls you and I saints. 21 times it calls us believers. Only three times does it refer to us using the word Christian. And one of those three times is a derogatory way that other people called people Christians. Do you realize that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that you are a disciple of Christ? Now, whether or not you're very mature is a whole other story, right? Someone say amen, right? But you are a disciple of Jesus Christ if you are a follower of Jesus. And so we want to talk a little bit about that this morning. Again, we talked about that last week and this week. And I want to talk to you about how God, how Jesus disciples us. How he helps us to grow in our relationship with him. Um, we were talking about as a staff, um, Matthew chapter 4 verse 19. Jesus gives this invitation to be a follower of his. Jesus gives an invitation to be a disciple. Matthew chapter 4 verse 19, Jesus is talking and he says, I want you to come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This, this pastor that I've kind of become acquainted with this, these past several months out in Idaho, I don't know if it was original with him, but he kind of exposed me to this idea. He said, this is both the invitation to be a disciple of Jesus's and it's the definition of a disciple. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. As when we were talking about it, and Staff and Caleb was like, oh, that's perfect. That's the 419. So every time you dial 419, I want you to think of Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Because that's the definition and the invitation of what it means to be a disciple. The Bible calls you and says, Mike, you might not know it, but you are a disciple of mine. If you're my follower, you're a disciple. I was meeting with my friend on Friday. 20 plus years I've known this person. He went to my own church, our church, for 10 plus years. He's like, I didn't know I was a disciple. All throughout the Bible, the Bible says you are a disciple. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19 kind of gives that invitation and the definition of a disciple. A disciple is a person who follows Jesus. Jesus, you're in charge. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Jesus, you're in the lead in my life. I'm following you, Jesus. A disciple is a person. Jesus says, come follow me, right? The disciple says, Jesus, you're in charge. I'm following you. I've trusted you. 
A disciple doesn't just follow Jesus, but a disciple is being changed by Jesus. Jesus says, come follow me and I will make you. There's this transformation, there's this growing, there's this maturing process that's supposed to be happening in our lives that we become more like Jesus. And then he says, Luke, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Luke, you've got lots of opportunities in your life. But more than anything, I want you, Luke, to live your life on mission. I want you to be a fisher of men. That's what a disciple looks like. Last week I gave this, and this is a little bit of a review because I need to do it. I show this uh, slide, it's kind of this, um, I don't know, picture last week, right? A disciple, right, is a person whose, whose head is being changed, right? I've chosen to follow Jesus. My heart is changed. I'm becoming more like Jesus. My hands are being changed. I'm beginning to serve like Jesus. My feet are being changed. I'm living my life on mission, I'm doing what Jesus has called me to do. It affects all of who we are. That's what a disciple looks like. Here at North Point, we have a little thing. We call it the life change loop, right? We kind of illustrate it like this, right? I begin to make a decision to follow Jesus. I'm an infant in Christ. I grow a little bit, and I choose to grow together with other people, right? I become a teenager. I begin to serve one another. I begin to mature a little bit more, a young adult. And finally, I become a spiritual parent where I'm mentoring, I'm discipling. I'm pouring my heart and life into the lives of other people. That's what a disciple looks like. And it's just this continual process that happens in my life. Last week, we talked about, I titled the message, Sacred Spaces. And I talked about Five different ways, five different areas, five different contexts, five different environments that God uses to help change us and to make us a disciple. I kind of exposed you to that last week. And this morning, the big question is this. What prevents you, I want you to think about this this morning, what prevents you from choosing to be in a space that God uses to disciple you? So I'm going to talk about those spaces, and I want you to think about what stops me from entering into that space to be discipled. I think we have another picture here, a graphic. You know, we talk about these five sacred spaces. I know you're going to have a hard time seeing these, right? We need a different screen or projector or something, but I know. So, right, we talk about these five spaces, right? The very first space we call that a public space, right? And, and we think about Jesus and how Jesus would often minister and speak to Thousands and thousands of people, right? We think about the Sermon on the Mount when he was gathering all these people. He's feeding all these people, all these people around. And he would speak to thousands of people. He had lots of time in his life and his ministry in these public spaces where there were big multitudes of people that were gathered around. God uses times like that. For us, we think about our Sunday morning experience, our Sunday morning time, where I'm learning what it means to follow Jesus. I'm being inspired. I'm being encouraged. We're telling stories about life change and how that's happening. We have these big public gatherings. This pastor out in uh, Idaho Falls, like whatever happened in Idaho Falls, but there's a church of 9,000 people out there. Idaho Falls, right? This pastor out there, in the last couple of months, I've kind of learned a little bit about his story. And I'm not sure if, if this is original with him or not, but I want to give him credit. You know, he talked about this public space, and he's like, he teaches his church. Every time you think about this sacred space, he's, he gave the image of, think about a train. Just lots and, you know, lots of people on this train. We're, we're in a vehicle. We're in some kind of vehicle. We're going someplace. And for us, 
that going place someplace is ultimately heaven. But on this side of heaven, you know what that mission is? You know what, besides being a fisher of men, is God wants us to grow and change and become more like Jesus. And he said, oh, yeah, think about the public space kind of like a, this journey in a train. And then there's something called a social space. And it's not quite thousands of people or even hundreds of people, but it might be 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 people that are kind of gathered together, right? And think about Jesus at the wedding of a place called Cana. You know, a wedding, there's going to be 50, 60, a couple, you know, a couple hundred people. There's this big event and a big social space, social gathering. And Jesus is there and he's there very, very, there very specifically on mission. Or you can think of Jesus being invited to a guy named Matthew's house. He was a tax collector, became a disciple of Jesus, right? He invites Jesus to his house. and There's all kinds of people. There's this huge party. But Jesus is there and on mission, right? So it's kind of this social space, right? And you can think of um, kind of like a bus. You can fit like 70 people on a bus, right? 50, it just depends on how much you want to crowd it, right? Not, not as big as a train, but a bus, right? It's kind of a larger group, right? Very missional, on task, on purpose, right? Then you can think of the next space down. It's kind of that personal space. Think about Jesus and his 12 disciples. He spent the majority of his time with his 12 disciples. There were times that he was on the mountainside preaching to thousands. There was times that he was at weddings. But the majority of time was spent with his 12 disciples over the course of that three years. Oftentimes you would see these little small groupings of house churches, right? Here at North Point, we, we call them life groups. There's these gatherings of 12 to 25 people or so. It's kind of this personal space, right? And you can kind of think of a van. We have a 15-passenger van, right? That's all you can fit in a 15, you know, just 15 people. It's kind of where you learn to be a family, Learn to be a little bit more, you know, transparent where people know you. You know, you know, in a big party, you might not know everybody. and Everybody might not know you, but you're there on mission. You're on task. Kind of that next environment down, that personal space. Everybody knows your name, and you know everybody else's name in that group. But you're not totally transparent. There's things that you hold back, right? You don't tell everybody your business in your life group. But you surely, more than some kind of a party, you're telling people things. You don't even know everybody's name at a party. But you're on mission. You're on task at that party. And then there's a little bit more intimate level, right? It's a transparent level. And Jesus uses that time. Think of Jesus and Peter and James and John. Just the three. Or Jesus and Mary and her sister Martha and their brother Lazarus. Where Jesus would spend time with just a few people. And he would pour into them even more on a more intimate level. And there's a lot of transparency in that level, Right? You don't hold anything back in that level. Again, right? And you can think of these vehicles, train, bus, van. And you can think of a car. Like I'm going someplace, spiritual maturity. It's just me and a couple other people in that car. Super transparent, you know? Super transparent in the car. Anything happens, everybody else in that car knows about it, you know? If someone farts, everybody knows about it in the car, Right? On the bus, you're like, who did it? I don't know. But in a car, you're like, oh, yeah, right? Can't hide anything back in a car, right? And Jesus uses that space to disciple you, to help you change and grow, right? Then there's that final space, right? They call it the divine space. Jesus says, hey, 
when you get alone to pray, go into a closet, close the door, get your own personal time and block everything and everybody else out. Just you and me together. And you need to have those moments, Jesus says, in your life when it's just you talking to me and me talking to you. And you have those divine moments in your life. Jesus would often do that. He'd get alone on a hillside and he would go pray all by himself on the side of a mountain, right? And he tells the disciples, he says, hey, get alone. Get in your own prayer closet where nobody else is around you. You're just not distracted by anything. Think of that divine space. It's kind of like, oh yeah, it's kind of like me on a motorcycle. It's just you and one other person on that motorcycle. Just you and Jesus alone. And Jesus uses all these different spaces. You might not know it, but you are, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a disciple. And Jesus uses all these different places in your life to help you grow, to help you change, to help you mature, to help you be on mission, on task for him. And the question is this morning, huh, I wonder why I don't engage in these different spaces. Why don't I go there? And so I want to give you a couple of reasons why you might not be willing to go there with these different things. We see them all in the Bible. All these are examples in the Bible. So I want us to think through here. On the notes on the back, you'll be able to fill these in. So the very first space is that public space, right? We find that in John chapter 6, verse 41 through 48. Jesus has just done this huge miracle. There are thousands of people gathered around. He's teaching them. Right? He just did this miracle. And all of a sudden he starts talking about what we would talk about is communion. Jesus starts talking about his body which is going to be broken. His blood which is going to be given to people or for people. He's going to pay the price for us. He starts teaching them about that. And listen to what it says. Remember there are thousands of people gathered around. It says the people began to murmur in disagreement because Jesus had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father. We know his mom. We know Joseph and Mary. How can he say, I came down from heaven? We know he came from his mother's womb. But Jesus replied, he said, stop complaining about what I said. For no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I will raise them up. Verse 45, as it is written in the scriptures, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. Let's get down to verse 52 in your Bibles. Then the people began to argue with each other about what Jesus meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they said. Many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining as he said to them, does this offend you? Verse 66. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you going to leave? Are you going to leave? I think a lot of times people, they get in this large environment like this. And they, they hear what's being taught. And they're like, oh, this is way too hard. The disciples, all these people were like, oh, they heard Jesus talking about his body, which was to be broken, and his blood, which was to be shed. And 
They're like, oh, I don't understand this. This is way too hard. I don't want to hear this. I can't accept this. Oftentimes people show up in a church on a Sunday morning and they're here for a while. All of a sudden somebody says something and it's just like, I don't get this. And this is way too hard. I can't accept this. So you turn and you walk away. That, that happened this year. I know there was this couple and they were coming. And, you know, God takes us on this spiritual growth process. We learn things about ourselves. We learn things about what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And the Bible simply says, God says, hey, I create sex and it's a great thing. But it's like fire. It's meant to be kept within boundaries. And sex is meant to happen in a marriage relationship. And this couple was living together. And they were going to get married this year, but they were kind of confronted with it. The Bible calls that fornication, fancy word for sex outside of marriage. This couple's like, whoa, this is way too hard. I'm not interested in going to church here. I don't like this. And started complaining. It was just too hard. Nobody wants to hear that. So they're out of here. Kind of like these people here. Sometimes we're in these large environments where there's hundreds and thousands of people. And you're just like, oh, this is just too hard. I don't understand this. I think another reason why sometimes people, when they leave environments like this, is they have these preconceived ideas. Remember, they're like, Jesus, what do you mean you came from heaven? We know your dad, Joseph. We know your mom, Mary. And we show up to church and we see things. We're like, oh, this is not what I was expecting. I had these preconceived ideas. Well, this is how church should be done. Because, you know, I went to church as a little kid and, you know, we didn't do all this stand up, raise your hands up, sing for 25 minutes, you know, and all this kind of stuff like this. And I don't like all this stuff. Sometimes we have these preconceived ideas. Well, you know, I saw the person on TV, this preacher on TV, and, you know, and so I'm like, I don't want to show up at a church because I see what happens in churches. I watch TV, and I know what happens in churches. Sometimes people don't show up to church and they want to, because there's this distrust for spiritual leaders. It's like, you know what, I've been in church before. I've been burned. I don't trust those pastors. Did you see that guy in New York City? He got robbed. It was live on YouTube or Facebook or whatever. And he got robbed. Anybody see that? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? He got robbed as pastor in New York City. They took his watch. They took his necklaces. You know how much that stuff was worth? A million dollars. Oh, yeah. I know about you pastors. Pastor Brad, you drive a Jeep. Mm-hmm. I know all about that. Right? What you don't know is it has 205,000 miles on it. But yeah, you know, right? People don't trust people and pastors oftentimes. I think another reason why people say, I don't want to be in this environment is just pride. Like, I don't, I don't need to know what you guys are talking about. You know, I'm good. I don't need church. I don't need to be taught by anybody. I mean, you know, half the people who are pastors, they've never even been trained. Never gone to seminary, never gone to college, Nothing. I don't need to be made right with God. It's just his arrogance and pride about their own lives. I don't need someone to save me. Last one, guilt and shame. I feel bad about what I've done. That's guilty. Or I feel bad about who I am. That's shame. And that keeps people and drives people away. 
You see these things. So you don't want to enter this sacred space. Yeah, it's already, I already told you, but the last one was it's just too hard, right? It's just too hard. What is it that has kept you out of this space? Because Jesus uses this space to help us grow in our walk with him, to help us mature. The second space is what we, they call the social space, right? It's that, it's that, you know, groups of 70, 50, 60, 70, and those smaller environments, right, where it's very missional, Right? You know, I think about my own life, and, and I have a group of, you guys know, I have a group of people, friends that I run with. And there's probably about 20 of us or so. And, you know, and it's kind of my, my area where I'm very specific on, you know, talking about and trying to display and being a Christ. I don't always do the best job, that's for sure. I think about someone else in our congregation who's, you know, has a group of, of people that they do, they work out with. And, you know, there's like 70 guys or whatever, and they're always constantly working out together. But... It's on mission, on task, not just to get fit physically, but spiritually to be aware. This is how the Bible talks about this space. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul, the apostle, is writing, and he's saying, hey, listen, if someone who isn't a believer asks you home for dinner, accept the invitation if you want to. Eat whatever is offered to you without raising questions of conscience. Verse 28. But suppose someone says to you, this meat was offered to an idol. Paul's like, well... Don't eat it out of consideration for the conscience of the one who told you. Because obviously they told you because they have a problem with it. It might not be a matter of conscience for you. Because the Bible doesn't say you can't eat meat that's sacrificed to an idol. That's just a personal preference. That's a personal conviction thing. Paul says it might not be a matter of conscience for you, but it is for that other person. That's why they said something. He says, for why should my freedom be limited by what someone else thinks? If I can thank God for the food and enjoy it, why should I be condemned for eating it? Then he says, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles or the church of God, both those inside or outside the church. He says, I too try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what is best for me. I do what is best for others so that many might be saved. And you should imitate me, just as I imitate Christ. I think sometimes people don't enter into this kind of this social space for three reasons. Number one, I think oftentimes it's messy. It's like, you know what? I don't, you know, this is just too complicated. It's just too messy going into this environment and all these people who I have to think about trying to live my life in a way that's you know, what's in their best interest. I don't want to be a stumbling block to other people. I, you know, the Bible doesn't necessarily address every single thing. And it just gets really complicated, really messy. So I'm just going to avoid all that mess. And just hang out with other Christians and not worry about people who don't know Jesus. Too messy, too complicated. I think another reason why people avoid this space is because we're just indifferent. Like, I really don't care. You know, I'm just trying to get to heaven. I, you know, you're, you're on your way to hell, but, I, you know, I'm just trying to get to heaven. And we're not super passionate about people who don't know Jesus Christ. And we become very indifferent about them. I think another one, a final one, is that fear. Like, fear keeps me from engaging in a space like this. Because what if they ask you a question, Chip, that you don't know the answer to? Like, you know, you've been there, I've been there. 
I don't want to go interact with a bunch of non-Christian people because if they ask me, well, why does God allow pain and suffering and why did my daughter die? I don't want to deal with it. I can't answer questions like that. I can't answer questions about pain and suffering and all these other things. What keeps you from engaging and being missional in that kind of a space in your life? Third area is that personal space, right? Think of the train, the bus, think of a 15-passenger van. Think of that small groupings here at North Point. We call them primarily our, like our life groups and our classes where we gather together. It's where you really learn to grow to be a brother or a sister, part of a Christian family. This is how the Bible talks about one of these experiences in Acts chapter 5. It says there was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife Sapphira, sold some property. He, Ananias, brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. He said, this is all of it. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. After selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell on the floor and he died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. And then some young men got up, they wrapped him in a sheet, and they took him out and buried him. Verse 10, talking about his wife. All of a sudden his wife comes in, she lies, she does the exact same thing. And then it says, instantly she fell to the floor and she died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and they buried her beside her husband. Verse 11, great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else, in other words, people outside of the church who heard about what happened. I think there are times that people, they don't want to be involved in a life group. They don't want that stigma attached to them. I think that fear keeps people from engaging in a life group, that small context. You know, when you're at a party, not everybody knows your name and you don't know everybody else's name. When surely when you're on a bus or a train, you don't know everybody there, right? But when you're in that small group of 12 to 20 people, yeah, everybody knows you and you know everybody else. Not on the full level. And I think what keeps people from engaging in this area is fear. Fear of being found out that you're not who they think that you are. Our fear of what others outside the church, what? You go to a life group? You know, hey, Gary, you want to do something for Wednesday night? No, sorry, I've got, I've got life group. Are you a Bible thumper? <laughs> life group? What are you talking about? It's bad enough you go to church on Sundays. Now all of a sudden you're going to some kind of small grouping of people? And so there's this fear of what others outside the church are going to think about you because you're some Bible thumper. Who wants that stigma attached to their life? No thanks. So fear keeps us from that. That next space, that transparent space, train, bus, van, car, just you and a couple other people. Right? You and two or three other people. It's kind of transparent. You don't hold anything back. What keeps us from that space? I'm not going to read it all to you. You guys know the story in Luke chapter 22, verses 54 through 62, right? It's a story about Jesus and Peter. Because, you know, Jesus spent lots of time with Peter, James, and John in particular. But Jesus says to Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me. You're going to betray me. 
Peter's like, no, no, Jesus, I would never stab you in the back. Jesus is like, yeah, you will, Peter. This is Luke chapter 22. is a story about Peter denying Christ three times. And I think oftentimes that transparent space was just you and a couple other people. What keeps you from going there is betrayal. Like I've entrusted somebody else my innermost part of who I am. And I was betrayed by them. They stabbed me in the back. And so I refuse to go there again. I'm not going to tell somebody else my most intimate secrets, my personal stuff, the stuff that God's working on deep in my heart. Because I've done that before, and I got stabbed in the back. I got betrayed, just like Jesus was. Or maybe you are a spiritual leader. It's the other way around, and you've been leading other people, and they betrayed you. I mean, it goes both ways. Some of you are like, I, you know, I've been a Christian for a long time, and I'm not discipling. I'm not pouring my life in anybody else's life because, you know, these, I've done that before, and they stabbed me in the back. goes both ways. Your leader has stabbed you in the back, and there are times that you've stabbed your leader in the back. So you're like, I'm not doing that anymore. And Jesus is like, ah, oh, John, you're missing out. I want to use this space to help you grow, to help you become more like Jesus. But that fear of betrayal has kept you from that. Last space is what we call the divine space, this sacred space where Jesus says, hey, get alone in a prayer closet, just you and me. What keeps you from that? Well, Luke, or Matthew chapter 27, Jesus is on the cross, right? And it says, at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. At about 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice. He says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And some of you, you don't want to go there with just you and God in your prayer closet. Why? Because you're like, oh, I'm not doing it. I'll just show up to church on Sunday morning. I might even join a, a life group if I have to. But I, I'm not going to cultivate my own intimate time with God because I feel like God has disappointed me. Jesus on the cross says, God, why have you abandoned me? He's quoting an Old Testament psalm. The psalm finishes with declaring trust in God. But that's what Jesus said. That's what he felt the weight of sin of the world on his shoulders. And for some of you this morning, you're like, I'm not doing this time alone with God. Can I just show up at church? Because God, you've disappointed me. God, you've abandoned me. And so I'm not going to go there. sacred spaces and God uses all these spaces to teach you what it means to be a disciple and you've got to answer that question this morning why are you unwilling to go there I'm going to ask uh, some friends of mine Paige and Carrie to come forward at this time so I've known Paige and Carrie for a couple of years now and and I had asked them, I, you know, I wanted to show you real life, flesh and blood people that, um, 
that, that have chosen to enter into these spaces and how God has changed their life. They started coming to North Point about two years ago or something like a year and a half ago, right? And it went from just showing up to here to engaging in each one of these spaces. And Paige and Carrie, you know, could you share with the congregation, like, you know, how has God used these times to help shape and to change your life? Carrie? Um, yeah, a year and a half ago, we were in a much different place <laughs> with our marriage. You'd think after 25 years it'd be easier, but it wasn't. <laughs> um, and we were just really, we really needed to be here. Um, we really needed to uh, open up um, and share what we were going through with uh, a life group, with Brad. Um, it'd been much easier to just stay where we were and work through it ourselves, but um, it just wasn't working blessings we got from our life group are just amazing um, knowing that people are there praying for you and not judging you and making you feel they're just cheering you on so. so Carrie so you said a year and a half ago your marriage was in a much different it was pretty 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 dark yeah. right and you could have just shown up and just sat in the congregation week after week right do you think that your marriage really would have changed if that's all that you had done not at all, right? Okay. What's that? We did it for years at a church. For years, you just came and showed up at yeah, church. You yeah, just sat at, in church. And it, yeah. So, but uh, really, the life group, the whole idea of life group and focus group. When you say focus group, you mean the one-on-one -on -one time the, the three of us had the together. Transparent. Right. Yes. The so transparent. Pastor, right. like, say, if you're with Pastor Brad or with one of the other men or just a couple of the men from the life group, that it, you. Are relating so the whole idea of life group you realize you're not going through life alone you're not alone yes we all are blessed with the Holy Spirit as our personal uh, guide right a counselor but a lot of times we're not in tune even the Holy Spirit is telling you something you it's just not registering right but the life group the smaller group focus group allows you to, uh, to bring that clarity. It's a resource. So it's what has really changed just even our marriage, us. It's when you start realizing that Jesus' blessings casting to your whole family and you see that change impacting your children, that is just, you'll see the divine intervention. <laughs> so, right. So, Paige and Carrie, this is not just affecting the two of you. This it's is cascading it's, all the way oh, down into your family. When you your see your children, that, and those of you that know me, you realize this is very much unlike me. But when I see my kids, oh my God. <laughs> So, Paige, do you think without the life group, without the one-on-one -on -one time, that, that transparent time together, that you would be here today? No. When you, no. No. Absolutely not. Right. And that's the, the flip side of the coin. The coin is 
seeing your children get baptized, seeing your, your kids, your older sons that are following Christ because they see changes in you. Amen. That's what it's all about. So I just wanted Paige and Carrie to come up because, guys, like they showed up to church and just sat for years. But it wasn't until they took those steps and those risks where they were opened up their lives that God used those different spaces to change them, to help them to grow and to help them mature. So the question is, what is stopping you from engaging those next steps?